As we build habits, actions become easier, but they can also become more automatic and rote and start to lose meaning. In this episode, we discuss how to keep our perceptions and actions always new. I'm Sharif Yunus with Dr. Kevin Majors. This is The Golden Hour. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to tell you about our new masterclass. Now, if you think working better means longer hours, just trying harder, or sacrificing relationships, then think again. In this four-week masterclass, now available on OptimWork.com, Dr. Kevin Majors will guide you through the key ideas and the practice that will help you transform your approach to work. Now let's get started. Welcome to another episode of The Golden Hour. I'm Sharif Yunus here with Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, good to have you on again. Yeah, Sharif, it's great to be back again another week. It is another week down and another week to go. Uh, so, well, I heard that you were recently explaining OptumWork to someone, and this person asked you, what is the essence of optimal work? Which I think is a great question, and I thought I'd just like to hear your answer to that question. Well, I experimented uh, with, a, with a new way of explaining it, and I said the essence of optimal work is the free energy principle of Carl Friston. So the guy was like, he said, you know, what was, what is that? And um, I've given this answer interestingly to like people um, quite educated in neuroscience, MIT PhDs, and and they said, um, Carl Friston. Does anyone understand Carl Friston? <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, there's even a, a Twitter uh, account that is for a Farrell. Quiston or something like that. It's a fake Carl Friston uh, account because he's sometimes very difficult to understand. And I don't pretend to understand all of his computational stuff. Um, but the broad, in, the broad, in the broad outline, what it means is the insight that what your brain most likes doing is making predictions. It predicts two things in a sense. What you are receiving from your environment, your perceptions, and then how you give back to the environment, which is your actions. So your brain is always making these predictions. And it tends to mean that you are caught in this internal model that you have, and that model is the sum of all predictions. So you tend to operate according to a model, and that model then limits what you notice, and it limits your options for what you do. And so it tends to be then that we are built to maintain the status quo and to be subject really to the self-fulfilling prophecies. So you will tend to notice what you've always noticed and to do what you've always done. And in that sense, optimal work is, try, is how to ultimately how to make things new. How do you break through the roteness? So you know the example, like when you sit down to work, if you're not deliberately trying to do it new, you're going to do it the way you always did it. Because doing something new takes deliberation. That's why we want people to set the stage for an hour of work. So then with deliberation, you can actually surprise yourself. You can, you can be shaping how you're doing things in new ways. And the highest way of shaping yourself is according to ideals. 
And ideals are inexhaustible. So it's a continual way of, you could say, surprising yourself with new and better outcomes. So the mission of Optimal Work is really to help people bring their highest ideals into work. But in a sense, that's how you escape the kind of slavery of self-fulfilling prophecies in your life. Now, so you, you mentioned that Carl Friston describes the brain as having a kind of tendency towards maintaining the status quo or doing what it's always done. And this leads to us being kind of rote in our perceptions or actions. Why does the brain do that? Is that just a bad thing? Is it kind of some bad nature that we're stuck no. with or is there some good side to it? It's a, well, yeah, yeah. It's it's to conserve energy. Okay, so that's what the free so, energy principle. Yeah, is so that what free, it's getting at? Free free energy is like entropy. It's the loss of order and energy. So the brain tries to keep things together, and the way it tries to hold things like the whole world in its head is by more, making a model of it, and then that model allows it to predict and to conserve energy. So then it just tends to be able to focus your attention on what needs to be and what needs to be done. Otherwise, we would be constantly having to think you know, we, of how do I do this? How do I do that? We need things to actually become rote, and, and which is to say to become habitual. So the brain likes, you could say, forming habits. Habits are like that kind of prediction built into us now. And so we have a habitual predicted way of acting. Uh, but habits tend to um, make things more automated and less deliberate. And there's the, the problem with that is you don't end up experiencing anything as new and less and less gets deliberately crafted. So if you've been doing the same thing for a long time, you know, then the habits become very powerful. It can be hard to break out of those. Um, you know, an example would be like, you know, imagine that, I don't know, so Sharif, when you go to a, a restaurant, say a restaurant that you frequent, and you could either try to maximize the surprise of the, uh, you know, where you could have a reward by always choosing something new, or you could try to minimize surprise and go with what's safe. What do you do when you go to a restaurant? I always order this exact same thing, yeah. Yeah, and that and, and because sometimes I order like mostly the same thing, but then one mm -hmm. thing different. Gotcha. So there can be little little changes, <laughs> little tweaks. Yeah. Yes, yes. We've gotten sushi enough times that I know exactly right, and then yep. you know I'm the same way. That, so the so it could be that you're feeling adventurous though, and then you're going to be you know what, and then you're going to actually look at the menu and really think about it, and you're going to be deliberate. Well, then with deliberation you could actually plan out some kind of surprise, you know, and, and you could be thinking of strategies to maximize rewards. So if you think, oh, well, what's a new thing they have? Or, um, but you can only do that if you have the energy available for that. Let's say that you're in some kind of important lunch meeting, like, you know, there's some kind of, you know, like a job interview or there's some important thing happening and you just don't have the mental space to deliberate about new rewards, well, then you're just going to go with what you always do. I think everyone is like that, right? And to some extent, that you're going to go with the safe choice, you know, when you have other demands on your, on your attention. And so that's the idea here is that the brain is always here between its prediction and its surprise. Surprises open the possibility of new rewards, 
but the prediction is the safe path and the brain tends towards the safe path. And it tends then towards preferring the satisfaction of getting what it expected over the variable rewards of experimentation. So it's like, it's, it's okay, you know, just being comfortable with what it knows and doing what it knows. Now, when you brought up the idea of perception and action, and it seems to me that when I think of rote, I often think of behaviors, like I'm just going to sit down and do this the same old way. But so it's, so that's the action part of it. Uh, but I thought, yeah, the, the perception part is quite interesting. So I, I think it would be good to dig into that more in this episode. Uh, so, so I wonder if you could explain that a little bit more. I think the perception part is that you don't even notice the opportunities to do things differently. Let's say that you've been working in an office with someone, you know, for some time, maybe years, and all of your conversations, you know, were always, after a while, they're just the same, right? They say some things, you say some things, there's a little exchanging back and forth, you know, and even if you were to say go to a lunch meeting or something, it tends to be the same. And, well, that's because you have both formed models of each other, you know, uh, that where you're predicting how they act and they're predicting how you act, and you just get into these locked patterns, right? But then, say, another person comes around who knows them better, and they start talking, and you realize, this is actually a super interesting person, right? And they have all these things that they could talk about. You had just never seen the opportunities for those paths. I think that happens all the time. You know, that, that you, so you just don't even see the opportunities for, like, really getting to know the person uh, because you just had a model of them. You know, and you just, so, you know, people in, in themselves, in their inner core, in some ways are always new, right? Especially if they're growing. Uh, they're always changing and always new. Well, but your model of the person gets really stuck, and so if people around you don't seem interesting, it's because you're trapped in your own models. And if you run out of things to say with people, it's because you're stuck in your model and you're not really getting to know them in themselves. But I think once you see this, you see, this is the prediction aspect that Friston is talking about, that you don't even see, all you see is according to your prediction. So you don't notice things that violate it. You don't notice opportunities for new avenues. You're just locked in. So when you're, if you're doing some kind of work, you don't even see how you could do it differently. All your attention is naturally pulled to is doing it the same way you've always done it and just do the next step and do the next step and get it done. It's, and it seems that we break out of this. For example, in work, I might break out of it. If, if I have some specific area that I kind of know I want to grow in, uh, like I want to get better at give, uh, giving talks, then I can see that there are lots of little opportunities all throughout the day when I'm speaking to someone, at a meal with someone, in meetings, there's, there's always these little opportunities to just work on the way I phrase things or the way I speak. So, so, so it seems like when you have a, a, a goal, that kind of primes you to see the opportunities in all these different situations. But does, do you or does Carl Frisson have a kind of more general solution to how do you actually start to see all the opportunities that are present? Well, I'm not sure that Friston himself goes into this, you know, in terms of how to put it into practice. Uh, he's pretty, pretty, pretty high level, you know, in, 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 in the theory. What I would say is that 
Um, your conversations reflect your actions. They reflect your being. If, um, so if you're not becoming new, if you're not doing new things, you're not going to be able to say new things. At a very deep level, like growing, if you are growing, then you're becoming new and you have new actions. And then you have new things to talk about. But the, the very fact that when you're discovering new ways of growing, those things become very salient to you, meaning they grab your attention. And if you really make progress in one area, you know, like let's say, take the patience principle, okay, which is if you wait, urges go away. It's a very simple idea. It's super powerful. And it extends to, in all these different directions. Okay, so you could notice that if you simply, um, like you have an urge to have a third cookie, you know, and you say, okay, I'm going to give myself three minutes and then uncheck again, and then you come back, yeah, okay, I don't really need it anymore. So just delaying makes it much easier to handle the urges. And then you see other things like, oh, I'm working. And, you know, while I'm, I got this distraction, and if I just, you know, give myself time to wait and let myself feel the urge, then it's very easy not to give into it. And so on. It starts generalizing. And you're looking, it becomes more and more salient, and you keep on discovering new ways of doing it. Well, the, then when you're talking to people, you start being able to relate it to them too and show them ways of doing it. So if you're growing and these new growth principles become really salient, you end up talking about them with others because you see it in their life too. And that's where you get this wonderful thing. And if you actually help someone to grow, then that is super rewarding and it becomes even more salient. And then you start seeing, you know, and then you notice even more opportunities to grow in it. And so you get this wonderful virtuous cycle, but all is because, you know, that your actions are shaping your being, right? And it's reflected in your conversations. And all the, the nexus of all of that is how salient or powerfully drawing for your attention something is. To make growth salient leads then to actually having new conversations with people because you can go deeper now. So Friston's free energy principle, this model, it, is, it cuts both ways that if you're not challenging yourself and you're not doing new things, you'll tend to perceive the same things. So if you're rote in your behavior, you'll be rote in your and you'll, exactly. you just won't, you'll miss the opportunities. But on the other hand, it's, it's the same thing going on in your brain that when you are making positive attempts to challenge yourself, then you start to perceive the opportunities. But it's, it's the same underlying exactly kind of right. principle. And as you are becoming new, you're actually, and, and, and changing then, you're more open to see others for the, who they really are and have a new take on them too. So if you want to change your outlook in everything in life, just start really trying to grow in new ways. And as you start growing in new ways, then you become new and you're more able to notice the real people around you. As you break out of your model of yourself and the predictions you have for yourself, you're also then getting more free to actually break through the model you had of others. Well, Kevin, when you mentioned the, uh, on the topic of conversations and this way we have of, of having kind of fixed models of other people, made me also think that we do have, in a, in a way, models of ourselves that we try to put forth when we're having conversations with other people. So if, if this thing is going on that we're perceiving other people as kind of models and we're putting forth this model of ourselves, 
that leads to a kind of superficiality in our conversations that we're just kind of having the same converse, uh, similar conversations over and over again, but never really getting getting deeper. So h- how do we get past this? How do we get past this kind of get through this veneer and get to the real person so we can have a real meaningful conversation? I think that's a very interesting point. I would actually love to get any comments that people have you know, on, on, how they, on how they go about doing that. Because I think that there is a moment in conversation where you somehow like transcend the veneer so that everyone, and this is, I think, just a way of conserving energy, right? That everyone is just presenting them. You know, we present a certain part of ourselves. And, and, and we, there's like you're a public persona that when you're going to get a haircut, when you're going to you know, do things, when you're maybe in the office, you just kind of put that persona up. You know, and, and it just requires, because it's, you know, it's good that others see you in the same way. It's kind of predictable for them. So, and we just get used to there's like a this this like a, there's a tacit agreement among everyone that okay there's this it's just the way we present ourselves. Um, but to become friends with someone, to actually have a bond with someone, you can't bond with the veneer. So I think that's kind of what an infatuation is. You know, when two people are trying to bond with their veneers, you know, but you're not really like infatuated with the person in themselves which is why they say infatuation can't last more than two years. So it, it, uh, the, um, that's perhaps pop psychology, but there's, there's probably some truth to it, that, uh, that you can fall in love with the veneer, you can idealize people, but that's just the veneer. It's not really the person in themselves. But I think hopefully people have had the experience of really, really good conversations with friends or conversations that actually made you friends, where you went somehow beyond the veneer. I think that's super interesting to think about because then you're open to something new and you treat the person as if you're discovering them for the first time and you are like getting beyond the model you normally portray of yourself and you're getting beyond the model you have of them. So there's like a mutual setting aside for a moment of these models as you really meet the the other person. I think you could be married to someone for years and actually have lost that experience and you just operate the business of the family by these veneers, but you're not really deeply connecting. It takes work, um, but also I think that's kind of what love is about. I think love is not about the veneer. Love is about the actual being of the other, the person in themselves. And in a sense then you could say, love actually makes everything new. That for your brain, when you really love another person in themselves, you are constantly renewing your model of them because you're constantly in touch with the reality of them through the bond you have with them. But it doesn't have to be something that only takes place in super transcendent moments. It's just moments of genuine connection. You know, and you could do this with anyone, uh, you know, that you just find a way to genuinely connect with the person in themselves. Um, maybe one way of doing that is don't try to use them for any purpose, like just to get something done. You know, you just actually make, take time to make a real connection. You know, even if it's like a clerk at the store or, or you're the clerk in the store and it's the customer coming in. You know, it's just not to be transactional, but to actually try dealing with people as they really are. To actually be mindful of the person in themselves. I think that's how you open up this path to make it new. Well, Kevin, I think that's a really beautiful note to end on. So I will, if you have any final words, we can end with those. Maybe just on that topic that uh, 
One way of breaking through models is to surprise people in conversations. So it, with the element of surprise, then uh, they actually are now going to be tuning in to you and yourself. Um, one way of doing that is that you, there's actually some, ex like, there's your, somehow you surprise them with how cheerful you are or some ideal or how kind you are or how thoughtful you are. It's a beautiful thing that when we really str like strive to live ideals in, in relationships or just with any other person, it doesn't have to be a permanent relationship, um, it's surprising to people. It always strikes them as new. Somehow that ties into love making things new. And the other way of doing it is, like, if you have people you're closer to, is let them see you, that you're growing and talk about how you're trying to grow. Because then they start being open to you becoming new. And they start being open to you and yourself. If, if they feel it's been 20 years and you haven't grown in 20 years, then they're not really tuning into you, you know, as easily in yourself. But if you talk about how you're trying to grow, how you're trying to change, then they can actually be more able to open up. So it's good that friends talk about growth together. Well, it's, yeah, it's a really interesting thing that as you're struggling to grow, as you're trying to make things new, that then that opens up your conversations and that helps other people do the same and perceive you in a new way and to do new things themselves. So there is really a, a very deep social dimension to all of this. Yeah, and when you really bond in that kind of conversation, it is a lot like attaining flow in the golden hour. You know, and, and so I think the more people actually work on these elements, they're able not to attain those conversations at will because that requires another person, but it's much more likely to happen. You know, that you're actually tuning in to the person in themselves. You're trying to show your real self. You know, if you do that, I think you have the possibility then of these, these, you know, these really noble conversations where you can form, even very quickly, very deep bonds. That's great. Okay, well, Kevin, thanks so much. And we'll be sure, back next week. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.